welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome back, bookends. We are so happy to share with you our book club pick for the month of April. The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Anti-Africa is not only the best title for a book, but it is also our choice for April. A bittersweet gem chronicling the coming-of-age story of a young Nigerian boy, this debut combines an infinitely charming character study with biting satirical comment about the westernisation of the African continent. Stephen Boro is a writer from Nigeria. Nigeria. He has a first class degree in mathematics and studied his MA in creative writing at the University of East Anglia, where he was the 2018 recipient of the Booker Prize Foundation Scholarship. In 2020, he was awarded second place in the Deborah Rogers Foundation Writers Award for his debut novel, which will be published in the UK and US this month with Bloomsbury. And we are delighted to have Stephen joining us today. So welcome, Stephen, to a pair of bookends. Thank you so much for having me. So what we always like to start with is to ask you what you are currently reading? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a huge question now because <laughs> I'm currently like rereading my PhD thesis. So, and and uh, just revisiting some of uh, the sources and all that. And uh, yeah, so that's what I'm currently reading. So like lots of uh, <laughs> like academic stuff and all. And uh, yeah. Just something light then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think in novel, I recently read. Uh, I mean, I've read a number of books recently. Um, I read uh, books by um, the states, a British writer, the states. So, it, it's this wonderful novel about girlhood, and it's set in Florida. Um, so, I mean, it's. I mean, the sense of description in the novel, it's really wonderful. I mean, you could feel like a tactile sense of the place, right? I, I felt as though I had visited Florida, and uh, I mean, it smells. I mean, the streets and all that. It was just, just really wonderful. Yeah, and yeah, I've read, read some books recently. Anyway, other books. And uh, I think, yeah, that's like one of the recent reads, yeah, so far. Amazing. And when do you finish your PhD? Yeah, I mean, I think that's up to my supervisors and my examiners, right? But um, so I'm hoping to finish, uh, let's say, this summer, sometime this summer, hopefully, yeah, if everything goes perfectly. And yeah, and wow. Yeah, they'll move on to other things in life and all. <laughs> So yeah, just just bringing out a novel and finishing a PhD in the same year, no biggie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it is what it is, right? I, I, mean, I just have no choice. And uh, but yeah, it's been I, I mean a wonderful journey so far. I mean, of course, as you can imagine, it's very very stressful. I mean, deadlines, so many demands for attention and all that. And uh, yeah, but it's what it is, and yeah, I should just do my very best to enjoy the whole process. Now, I would love to start, Stephen, by asking on the subject of your novel, where the inspiration for your debut came from and, and what the experience has been like in having it published. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, I think in many ways, looking back now, I think I've been like, preparing myself for this novel. Um, like every piece of writing I, I, mean, I had done, every like, book I had read uh, before, I think I writing this book. So they were just like preparations anyway. So I think the, the, the day that it fused, whatever was lit and everything, everything came together and, and I began the main journey yeah, of writing this book was um, one evening in June 2018. I was uh, in my living room in Nigeria and, uh, and then I, this voice just comes to me and it's this powerful voice that wants to be heard. A voice full of so much shame, so much uh, guilt and uh, a voice that wanted to be heard. And then I just had to pick up my black body. I had a black body phone then, a black body 8520 then that I, I used for writing. You grab my phone and I just started writing and writing and writing. It was so fun, so visceral, so just so amazing, an amazing experience. And then after reading what I had written, 
I, I discovered that that was like the most like powerful piece of writing I had composed up to that time in my life. And um, yeah, and, and that piece became the opening of my novel. It's still the opening of my novel now. And um, yeah, of course, the, the novel has been through so many like changes, so many changes. And uh, but it's just been a wonderful experience, like discovering who I am as a writer. Before I write in this book, I didn't know, I mean, I'll I could write something like this. I mean, a book that's, I mean, some readers have, dis- have described as uh, funny or uh, tragicomic and all that. And uh, I thought I was a different sort of writer anyway. And it's just funny seeing I mean, what I've come up with anyway. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to discovering more of myself, I mean, in my subsequent work. Yes. Did you not always think you were going to write a novel? Did this idea, idea just come to you, but you'd never kind of toyed with the idea before? I mean, I always knew that that. I was going to write a novel. Uh, the novel form was like my very first literary love, right? When I was little, I didn't really like poetry. I know I was like, why do you have to be so cold and things? You know, anyway. But as a teenager, I, I fell in love with poetry, like crazy in love with poetry. So it was just this wonderful way of, I mean, examining myself, of experimenting with form as a writer, of um, of also passing messages to, to friends, like in a very coded way, which is very, very fun. Uh, and, and it's a piece that can just complete very, very quickly. But um, like all the pieces of writing, I mean, like the, the writing I read before then, before, I mean, when I was little, most of them were just, I uh, mostly read novels. Of course, I read plays as a teenager, of course, I read poems and all that. But uh, um, I just loved the novel form because I felt you could do almost anything in a novel. You could, I mean, you could play with form, you could examine different themes, you could carry a, a, a reader through just different forms of experience and like a, a different acts of experience. You could, I mean, expose them to many things and also examine yourself in many, many ways. And, and even as a writer, like just try different different uh, tonalities and all that. And I'm like, in this novel, you, you would see I mean, some things that, that I don't think you would, you would usually do, like in a short story. I mean, for example, there's some playing uh, experimentations of, of form in a novel. Um, I mean, some like some poetry, practice of poetry to, I mean, describe things that he feels are too huge to describe in prose and all that. Uh, yeah, so I've only, I always knew that I'm going to write a novel and I'm so happy. I mean, it's finally come to pass, right? Yeah, so. We're so happy <laughs> that it's, <Yeah. laughs> it's so, so good. So yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, we're happy. We're the happy oh, yeah. ones. <laughs> I wanted to to chat to you a little bit about the cast of characters in the novel. They're they're each unique and and captivating and absolutely fascinating, each in their own right. What was it like to develop and create this brilliant cast? Well, I mean, I mean, the process of writing, like a lot of the things that happen are so, I mean, that, that's so like intuitive, right? Things that are not so overt. You don't actually know exactly like what happened, like how did these things come about? Right? Um, just like what I just described, uh, the very first moment of inspiration is something I still cannot understand how, like how it happened and yeah, and, and all that. But um, I think, of course, my environment, uh, the people were new people I was interested in, like we're just these very unique people. And, and, and again, it also relates to my the tastes, my own personal taste in, in books, um, the kind of writers I love reading. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love to just have this interesting car- uh, cast of characters. I mean, for example, I, I remember why reading when I was younger, when I, when I read like Shakespeare, and then like, for example, when you read Macbeth, you see like the, the porter who opens the door, like he's just a unique character on his own. Just the extras in the, in the play are all just unique people who stay with you afterwards. And mm. it's something that I wanted to bring to the page because I think the world is full of just different, unique people. And 
And I think that is a phone of the whole noble form to describe that that's this complicated uh, diverse arc of humanity, uh, the human nature, the human struggle. And like it's Novi is just trying to perceive, trying to like create like a kind of a periscope actually to different aspects of humanity and all that. And which is why the noble form is hugely, hugely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and they were really well fleshed out characters, which is always a joy to read. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And and I had so much fun, I mean, writing them and I just wanted to discover who they were and and I mean, and it kept surprising me, of course, right? Uh, and some of these characters had like some of my interests, my personal interests or the personal interests of my friends growing up. And this Drugs, his his friends, uh, Slim <laughs> and Moroka, the, yeah, I mean, Slim is, I mean, he's a painter, I know, and Moroka is a rapper. And I mean, when I was a teenager, I used to have friends like that. I was actually part of a kind of a rap collective or something, and we'll go <laughs> around like rapping and all that. And uh, so I just wanted, wanted to bring that, that friendliness, that uh, humor, those aspects of growing up or coming of age, and where you use, where, I mean, young people use these different forms of arts to like to understand themselves to I mean to deal with the, the difficult the difficulties of growing up the the paradoxes of the world the complexities of their situations and yeah and I just wanted to bring all that in, in the novel and yeah well you certainly did <laughs> now in in your novel your protagonist Andy um he says life in Africa is a long prayer and and I felt that the way you write about Nigeria and specifically uh I don't know if I'm going to mispronounce this but Contagora where yeah, Andy fine. lives yeah. okay good <laughs> um <laughs> where Andy lives um I feel like the way you write it provides like a real sensory experience for the reader um which is funny as you were speaking about the book that you recently read and how you felt like you were immersed in in Florida and I felt really immersed in in their world with with your book even just a simple scene that you'd written of him walking down the street and you've got like you can hear the the crackling fire where people are cooking you can taste the planting that people are eating and you can smell the and I'm quoting here you can smell the piss streams that they're stepping over and it's <laughs> it's very vivid and yeah. like visceral and whilst there is this like real kind of beauty about like the world that he inhabits there's also like a sort of undercurrent of, of violence and fear throughout and I just wanted to know kind of um what did you want to capture about contemporary life in Africa and and how much did your own experiences play into into this yeah um I mean my country Nigeria is this hugely I mean it's a massive country I mean several times Britain right and and so much is happening in there. I mean, so much, so many interesting things. Like Nigeria, you can see Nigeria in a way as like three, four countries or five, in fact, or whatever, more than that. I mean, I was forced to be together by colonialism and all that. And uh, and so like, so there's just so much going on. I mean, like I, you can just walk on the streets, I mean, of, of an Nigerian town, of any arbitrary Nigerian town. And, and you could just see like a hundred things to write about as a writer. I mean, there's so much happening and so much life and so much aliveness or whatever that that I also wanted I strongly wanted to capture. I mean, yeah. And of course, uh, some of the stylistic choices, stylistic choices I I, I use, for example, like you know, we say I mean, first person present tense point uh, narrative, and so that whatever like where Andy like moves around his world when he moves around the streets, around his neighborhood. I mean, like I just wanted to like make to create that huge immediacy. Yeah. Uh, that sense that the reader is with him, the reader can smell the things he smells, see the things he sees, hear the sounds he hears. So I wanted to to depict all the all these things. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's for reader to judge, but I think I I did my very best here. And my subsequent book, I also want to like to do more and more because it's this hugely fascinating place. I mean, contemporary Nigeria and Kotongrain, for example, which 
I repeated here. I mean, these are hugely interesting places. I mean, country is trying to I mean, discover its identity, just like Andy, I mean, my protagonist, trying to discover who he is and steal the country. So, and yeah, so I just wanted to capture as much as, as I could without overwhelming the reader and without making it like a huge, like, I mean, descriptive, like, I mean, pile or something. Yeah. And just, I mean, be very, very aware to give the reader exactly what I think it, they, they would need. And yeah. Absolutely. I think you did a beautiful job. So, it, it, Thank you. yes, completely. Thank you. Thank you so, much. Thank you. <laughs> so, we can't talk really about Andy without talking about his mother. She's a focal point of the narrative. And um, as a mum myself, when I read about her and about her shielding Andy from a lot of the horrors of her past and from a lot of the horrors of the situation that they have to live in, in, in some respects, um, it really resonated with me. As Andy comes of age, we kind of see him him have this sense of loss. He starts to lose his mum in more ways than one without giving too much away. What was it like for you to create that kind of dynamic duo? Yes, um, the, the relationship between Andy and his mother is just this very powerful, yeah, and painful and sad relationship, right? I mean, she's this; she's the very first person in his world, the very first woman in his world. Eh? Because you see the narrative, the book is more about, in a way, the book is about how Andy relates to the closest woman to him. I mean, from Eileen, Zara, Fatima, uh, and most especially his mother. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, to Andy, she's somebody who he hugely loves and also, I mean, feels so much shame about. Uh, he's so ashamed about because one, I mean, she's this person with huge potential, very, very huge potential. She's very brilliant. She's very creative. She's a photographer and all that. And uh, and yeah, but she's this person who is so, who is so filled. Uh, the post-coloniality of Nigeria has filled us so much. I mean, one on the one hand, she's uneducated. She has been unable to achieve her full potential. On the, on the other hand, again, she suffers so much um, misogyny. Yeah, I mean, she's been abused by. I've had so much physical, emotional abuse from her previous husbands and all. And, and of course, she suffered so much loss. I mean, she's lost many children. She's suffered uh, miscarriages and lost, I mean, a child that's Andy's older brother through a stillbirth and all that. And um, and so, and that loss, that huge feeling of loss, I think it's one that Andy ends up inheriting because we know of trauma. Trauma is, can be intergenerational, can pass for one generation to the to the other, and and so all that other huge feeling of losses, I think that things uh, Andy um, has inherited, and he which he like views through the through the angle of HSBX, the so-called course of Africa. That yeah, like the course of Africa has made his mother failed, made his situation failed, and yeah, and so that complication, I, I think, is one at the heart of this novel, and that love and hatred, because Andy, Andy's mother also reflect, uh, represents his nation in a way. Uh, I mean, he he loves that huge love for his for his country and for his nation, for his continent, and and also the huge shame that it also brings, the huge the rejection to it, it brings because of the failures and all uh, about it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, we've said before on the podcast, haven't we, Lid, that we we love a mother child dynamic. You know, they're they're probably the most interesting and complex sort of relationships to to read about and. Mm-hmm. And I really felt like you you captured that, you know, all of her, all of the trauma that she's experienced and the way she's kind of passing that on to, to Andy 
without necessarily meaning to. It's just her kind of her way of dealing with it, isn't it? But yeah, I thought you wrote them so well. Now, well, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's just going to be basically us complimenting you. So, now throughout the book, Andy often has discussions with his auntie Zara and his friend Fatima, and their various uh, studies and, and theories, sort of relating to mathematics. And I think the term is. Anifuturism, which I believe is an ideology that fuses animism and Afrofuturism. And the the sort of debates of these debates of intellectual thought seem to be a total contrast to the world they inhabit that is kind of consumed by religious thought. Um, why was it important to you to to present these contrasts? Yeah. Um, so in the novel, right? Uh, Andy, I mean, the leader says that Andy seems to like detest his country, his situation. I mean, his skin color, his blackness, his Africanness, whatever. And and he, he I mean, he seemed to detest this thing because I mean, he loves this thing say, on the one hand. On the other hand, because he is, um, he feels, I mean, for example, his country, his continent has failed him. I mean, they've not given him the opportunity to achieve the full potential that he has. You know? And this narrative from Andy, of course, stemmed from, I mean, the whole violence of colonialism, you know, and um, all these kind of things, so that, that the kind of message that colonialism passes to um, their subjects, to the post-colonial subjects, like Andy, that you're not good enough, you're not beautiful, like everything about you is nonsense, that, that the, I mean, the white guys, the imperialists brought, brought, brought God to you, brought all the good stuff to you, you know, and, and um, so, yeah, so, and so having that, that, that narrative on the one hand, and on the other hand, having a narrative about that, that's, that looks at Africa from a different point of view, from the point of view of that of uh, of pride of pride and of uh, of wonderful heritage, uh, what is what Zara brings about? Zara talks about in, in, in the novel. Uh, she fuses animism and Afrofuturism. I mean, she claims the whole field of animism because animism, like in the past, has been this theory that has been used as a form of violence in a way that all oh, African systems of thoughts are primitive and all that. And so, whenever Zara reclaims all that and I mean, by creating these interesting uh, movements, religious movements, social movements called anti-futurism, yeah, that, uh, that attempts to really reclaim the, I mean, glory days, the wonderful, huge, wonderful heritage of Africa, yeah, and, and parts of Africa, and of course, and, and to also project, I mean, Africans to, like, a wonderful future, a future to which we've also been denied in many ways. Uh, so so this is a counter-narrative, Andy, because I find novels that are very much balanced, and they, they have different multifaceted, like very interesting because like I wouldn't want to just see one way, one theory of examining things. I want to see also the, the counter narrative, the counter theory, to see how they both in, I mean, interact with each other, how they both uh, speak to each other and uh, and they all come alive whatever in Andy and in his life and in his friends, amongst his friends and all that. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it also feels like he finds like comfort in, in his all of his theories and these sort of intellectual discussions that he has. It's like there's some horrendous things going on outside of his home like politically and socially but then he he has these discussions and it's like something that he can kind of understand and comprehend which he's unable to with with all of the the violence that's going on outside and um, it just feels like a thing that that really brings him comfort now obviously you studied uh, mathematics yourself <laughs> and um <laughs> i am someone and i think lydia is also someone <laughs> that feels completely lost when it comes to maths <laughs> um what attracts you to it i don't know i mean 
I think my mother, my, my mother, I mean, she, I mean, she didn't have the privileges, the opportunities I, I mean, I've had in life, I you know, and uh, so she only just had very basic education, but, but she's very, very mathematical. I mean, I mean, her, her mathematical mind, it's, it's just really amazing. And I don't just have mathematical mind, how I literally mind to, I mean, because growing up, I, I mean, when I speak to my mother, I mean, we have, I mean, we speak in, in windows, different kinds of speakers, speakers of speech. I mean, we have so much fun together anyway. And, and I, I don't know, perhaps that was, maybe that was where it all came came. I mean, I mean, for me, right? In secondary school, I had this wonderful, I mean, math teacher. I mean, I've loved math when I was in primary school, but but more so in secondary school, I had this wonderful math teacher who, who I mean, made me to say, I mean, the beauty of, of mathematics, and not just the beauty, but I mean, why it matters and uh, why some of these theories are, that might seem so random and what they say about the world and how like mathematics is also a, a different way of, a different, also an important way of looking at, looking at the world. And and for me too, and from the books I also read, from the books I read growing up, let's say a book like, uh, when I read I was as a little child, like a book like um, um, The Swiss Family Robinson that seems to incorporate uh, so aspect of science and yeah and the arts. So so I've not so growing up I didn't see these two disciplines as so far from each other. I just saw them as maybe a bit parallel, but but at different ways, different facets of looking at I mean the same thing, right? Right. Um, I mean I mean both of them are, are both philosophy, yeah, in a way. I mean one isn't much more definite, well defined structures that is mathematics, and and literature isn't much more once uh, for examining the, the kinds of problems that the mass cannot examine, and and that's what again the book my novel tries to do, right? Uh, Andy Andy uses uses some of this mathematical theory to try to understand these incomprehensible things about his his situation, about his country, his mm. continent, and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like it makes a huge difference if you've got a really good math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it usually does. I mean, yeah, it usually does. I mean, it's like a good message that just makes everything just really worth it. And yeah, and it's just, yeah, somebody who understands the whole process, the difficulty. I mean, my mathematics is difficult. And yeah, that's something, yeah. And But it's also very fun and, and it's also uh, really worth it. And uh, I think in many ways, uh, we are all mathematical too, uh, right? I mean, every day we have, whether we, we are mathematicians or not, we apply mathematical, I mean, I mean, theories or ideas in our day-to-day lives. I mean, like math, 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 mathematics is very, very logical. I mean, logical systems of thought. And we often apply, we always apply, I mean, logic in our statements, in, yeah, in real to just do things so so in a way we're all mathematicians anyway so i am does that mean i'm a mathematician (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) definitely not (laughs) so moving on before me and hannah become mathematicians um we uh meet andy at a hugely pivotal time in his life i think we all remember being teenagers some of us more fondly than others um And a lot of Andy's world revolves around kind of this sort of sexual awakening that he's starting to become more aware of his sexual preferences and his fantasies. What did you want to explore when writing Andy's fantasies and sexual encounters? Yeah, um, so in the novel, Andy, I mean, is obsessed with blondes, blonde women, I mean, whiteness, the West and all that. And I mean, I mean, this is, this is something exciting and it's absolutely very important because, I mean, many people, many people from where I come from, I mean, we, they just, we are, I mean, we are just so much inundated, immersed in Western culture and in, and, and many things, you know, and, and as I said again, the whole 
legacy of colonialism and we've inferred these ideas that oh these things about the west the west is perfect the west is this you should try to be like be like i mean like someone from the west you should try to accept what the western systems of thought western systems of beauty i mean that it, yeah for example that uh, western standards of beauty too for example i mean a woman is really beautiful if she's tall she's slim she's blonde and that is that and that is what what's uh what she's seek, seek out for and uh so I wanted to examine all that too. I mean, as I said, the legacy of colonialism. And uh, and of course, in many ways, Eileen, the, the blonde British girl that Andy falls in love with, she I mean, represents this a lot of the West. And, uh, and, and in some way too, you could also say she represents this uh, internalized racism or this appropriated racial oppression that he's, he's been, I mean, sold, he's been fed, that he encounters in, in throughout his whole Live, like growing up in his community as a post-colonial object, as a post-colonial project. So yeah, so she, so she represents all this stuff, and and also wanted to use that to to explore. Um, yeah, of course, desire, uh, failure, and other 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 very all this very interesting interesting stuff about yeah being a teenager and all that. And especially, of course, yeah, also wanted to examine how like some of these decisions that like, are made randomly in the West here. Yeah. For example, like in Hollywood boardrooms, I mean, they make these huge decisions that they don't know actually have huge, huge ramifications. I mean, worldwide, I know. I mean, the whole Hollywood ex- executives who sit in their, in their boardrooms and say, oh, okay, perhaps we should just have, let's say, one black woman in this film, and maybe a black guy. Yeah, but more than one or two would just be too much. And and so, yeah, and this character, so and so, th- so the impact of all these decisions that might seem seems very little. I mean, it's very, very huge. Like, growing up in Nigeria, there are most of the, many Nigerians like myself, we, I mean, we consume, grew up consuming Hollywood movies. And, and then, I mean, you don't see, like, growing up, I didn't see any, like, black person playing a superhero. I didn't see, like, a black woman being in any any notable film. I mean, you would see, and eventually in the best action films, you see Kate Winslet in, in Titanic, you see all this stuff, but, yeah, and uh, so all these have huge ramifications, which mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why I'm, writing this when I wrote this book and yeah representation is hugely important but Lydia I think you would have been in with a chance with Andy yeah (laughs) blonde (laughs) (laughs) Um, in this light <laughs> but I think like their their scene, yeah. the scenes between Andy and Eileen were so frustrating to read at times because he'd obviously got this idea in his mind about like the perfect woman and he like really wanted to believe that that this was her. And then, you know, she when he kind of has these interactions with her, she says some like really questionable things and you're just like, red flag, no, please get out of there, Andy. Like, just don't give her the time of day. <laughs> And and he continues to pursue her. And you can see moments where he's kind of like on the cusp of being like, is this strange what she's saying? Is like she a nice person and then he's just like oh well she's a beautiful blonde woman I've always wanted so I'm just going to ignore all of that and continue to pursue yeah. her and he's 15 I mean like he's 50 yeah we'll like, give him we'll give him a break <laughs> no I was pulling my hair out though I was like no please just go away from this woman <laughs> yeah um, also Ellen too yeah yeah sorry to interrupt you um no, no. I mean Ellen too she, she's young I mean she's also 15 and yeah and she's also like uh, I mean that dynamic is also 
I mean, a great way to examine, like, um, I mean, the, co- the complicated ways that, uh, I mean, not just interracial relationships happen, but also, of course, I mean, like, between, like, white and black people relate to each other. And, I mean, because, I mean, she's been fed many things too, many, like, prejudices. And, yeah, and, and these things come out, perhaps, unconsciously from her. And she's doing her very best to love Andy. Like, she wants to ignore many things, ignore that, oh, he's black, he's Nigerian. He doesn't know how to make, I mean, an avocado toast, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> So like 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 she's doing her very best to ignore all these things. I mean to love him, but I mean she's who she is, and uh, and she's also fifteen, and she's discovering the world, understanding things, and and which makes their dynamic so interesting because mm-hmm. you can see where she's coming from. You can see I mean the narrative that she she's inherited, that she's she's been fed. I also see that of Andy too. I also see we also see how they both fetishize fetishize each other and all that kind of stuff. So it's yeah, it's uh, interesting. It is such an interesting dynamic to read, but that uh, avocado <laughs> toast moment that you just mentioned <laughs> killed me. <laughs> Not the avocado toast. <laughs> The it was toast. such a stressful like couple of pages worth of reading i was like i've never been so stressed out by avocado toast <laughs> and he's like i'm gonna get a video off it's the googling yeah. it's the youtube on his phone i'm like no <laughs> oh, bless him. Um, now just on obviously uh, andy and eileen there was another character that i really loved and that was fatima and i really loved her hers and andy's friendship and i found it quite moving in parts and you know there's they have this beautiful connection and they can relate to each other through a number of things. And then when he meets Eileen, there's a kind of a total sense of, of betrayal that Fatima feels. And it doesn't just seem to be about him abandoning their potential. It also seems to be a betrayal uh, of his race from her perspective because he's pursuing a white girl. What did their friendship represent to you and and sort of this whole clash with with race and class. Yeah, that friendship presents so many things, uh, so many huge, interesting things. Um, for me, it's it's one of the saddest part of the book. I mean, you see two people who seem to be like perfectly made for each other, but but I mean that that they can't be together because of so many things. Religion being one of them, right? Like the the irony for me about the book about I mean the this like love triangle between Andy, Eileen, and Fatima is it's how um Andy thinks oh like it's easier for him to be with Eileen that is this some somebody like Eileen who is so different from him and who is so different yeah and than somebody like, like Fatima who is so similar I mean because of how the whole post-colonial situation is so complicated like religion for example is one huge it's a very very huge thing in, in Nigeria. I mean, it's a huge factor, a huge system that predominates, preordains, predominates almost every other system, like in Nigeria, where I grew up in. Yeah, and, and so that, that relationship represents, um, um, so it represents this whole complication of the whole post-colonial uh, experience. And uh, and it's just one of the saddest aspects of the book. Um, yeah, I really wish Andrew and Ali could get to get on together and become a couple and all that. But yeah, but it's, it's a very complicated situation too. Yeah, it is very sad. He also did that really frustrating thing where he <laughs> he pursued Eileen and uh, left poor Fatima, and then he sees her <laughs> sitting with another boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he gets so jealous, yeah. and you're like, "Oh no, you've had your moment." No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no have your cake and eat yeah. it. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I that seemed very funny too. Yeah, it's uh, and it, and it's also funny, very sad because mm. like he he knows like yeah, I mean 
like she's the person made amendment for him. I mean, he calls her, he deletes some some letters from her name and calls her his page, right? Mm. Yeah, and uh, and but still he yeah he doesn't go with her. Absolutely, it's very frustrating. It was mm. very frustrating, <laughs> and I think one of the scenes that I found just so difficult was he comes from kind of Fatima's sat in front of him like I'm here, I'm right here, just look, and he just he can't do it, mm. and then he goes for like dinner with Eileen and they're sat having this meal in public and he's a bit kind of like I think he feels a bit inadequate and a bit kind of like he doesn't know what what to do he's looking at the cutlery like this is not how I eat and I think that it's one of those things like she touches his hair and I'm like get off and it just shit perfect epitomizes the the kind of differences in the way that he feels when he's sat with Eileen and when he's sat with Fatima because they are very different women and I think that it's it's so interesting to see those kind of that they mirror each other in these scenes yeah like I mean one of the like Eileen and Andy I mean they both criticize each other I mean she touches his hair he, he's so obsessed with her hair of course I mean yeah and, and this difference um and, and this difference is what what is so striking because he like when, when Andy's with her and Andy's like in this performance mode like he wants to impress he wants to be this guy who who she, she would love, she would be obsessed with, whatever. But, but with, with Fatima, I mean, he's like so natural. I mean, they're just great friends, right? They have so much in common, and he's more of in his, he's like he's more than himself with mm-hmm. with uh, Fatima, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's 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 just very sad, uh, yeah. How I mean, we always run away from things that uh, we are we are like our destinies or things that we are we are meant to that are, like designed to look to our, our taste to who we are to ourselves and and we decide we go for things that yeah usually beyond us and uh, and that that is just at the heart of our human situation I think yeah but in, in this case it's also just very sad it's all from ordinarities that Andy has been fed yeah from I mean mm-hmm. before he was born and and all and I mean that he has to like I mean desire the West he has to desire a white woman yeah that she and Eileen was just the only route to I mean success to to, to great life to happiness mm-hmm. and uh, when she might not really be 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 that truth you know you're breaking our hearts Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> not happy about it <laughs> but I mean like the, the crazy thing is is that Eileen actually doesn't have very much going for her she's not a particularly interesting person <laughs> No, I mean she, she is. She is very interesting. I mean, I mean, I mean, she she and Andy also have cool interests, great interests mm. together. I mean, they, they they love books. They, they talk about Kafka and all that. And uh, I mean, she's she's she wants to be a translator. She wants to translate mm. stuff. And uh, and I also wonder how like how what that speaks about that sees about their, their relationship and like how does she translate all these stuff the difficulties and the complications to her own self and how and where would, would it take her anyway like in in the post-narrative space like where would how would that life turn out to be and all that and uh, yeah anyway yeah she's very very interesting to me anyway yeah. <laughs> it's always so funny speaking to writers because you have us as the readers having formed our own opinions about specific characters and then you've got the writer who has had to inhabit each of their minds and probably has a lot more empathy. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm on Andy's side. I'm not having anybody hurting Andy. And you're like, actually, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed writing their the scenes together. I mean, there were some of the, the most difficult scenes to write, of course. I mean, I can remember chapters like chapter I mean, 10. Like, I mean, I wrote, I wrote part of the, I mean, it was so difficult. I had to write part of that on my phone. I mean, I wrote a good, like, half of the novel, actually, on my phone. I mean, maybe not 
like let's just say like um one one let's just, let's say one quarter or something or so or whatever I wrote up to me nearly half of the of the novel on my phone and then of course it's and it went through so many divisions, of course, on my laptop and all that. But like since like chapter like uh, chapters like chapter ten, for example, I had to write just so difficult. I had to write it on my phone. I had to be like so present, like in the yeah. dialogue exchanges and all. And there's so fun writing, and of course, very very difficult because I'm like, oh, like what does she think? What is she, what what is she thinking? How do, is she seeing everything that's happening? And uh, like, what is her life like? And I mean, she's so different from who I am and from me. And uh, yeah. Do you think that because I had no idea that you'd written. Obviously, I had no idea that you'd written half of it on your phone, which is amazing. But there's there's certain language that you use that's kind of like text language. So you know, you'll say like ASAP, or I think you wrote yeah. to be honest at one point. And yeah. do you th- do you think writing it on your phone made you feel a bit more free with with the language that you used? Yeah, I think so um, because I I mean I'm writing this novel right, this, and this book is about like I write yeah I was saying to myself so I'm writing this book about this 15 year old boy and and. Yeah, so, so just to, I mean, like, perhaps the phone, I'm writing on the phone, perhaps usually helped me to create that sense of immediacy, that connectedness, I mean, with, with this fictional character. Um, I mean, our, our phones are like our personal, our most personal devices, right? I mean, perhaps we we'll closer closer than our underwear because now and they will change their underwear, right? But we'll at least keep our phones with us and there. Uh, so, so and, and it's this device too that, uh, because it's so personal and uh, sometimes, I mean, as a writer, you want, you want your most critical voices to go to sleep and all, like you just can just lie down on your bed and you just get on writing, you can sit on your bed and you just write stuff on your phone and yeah, and yeah, and I, and I found some, some of the scenes, for example, scenes that involve some, I mean, huge dialogue, some, like many huge dialogue scenes in the novel, when, when, like where the, what are many significant plot developments that take place in the form of dialogue. For example, I think like chapter 10, for example, yeah, chapter 10, when Andy and Eileen are together in in a house in Abuja. Um, so like that scene, like I like I needed, I needed to feel every emotional pulse. I needed to control, and so that I could be able to manipulate and control, I mean, the, the emotional pulses, whatever, as they were going. So I, I mean, the scene doesn't just get out of hand or the reader does lose his interest. So just to, I mean, to be very, very involved, like to be intensely involved in those scenes. So like my phone my, was just a perf- the perfect device for, I mean, writing such scenes. I mean, I remember lying down while I think part of that chapter. I was just flying down and, and writing and writing, yeah. So it was really fun, maybe, but uh, also tough. <laughs> I think that immediacy, though, that that kind of sense of being there, it comes across so well because you do, uh, you know, people talk about page turners and things like this when we talk about books, but this is very much kind of in that kind of ilk because you you are with him the whole time. Mm. You are you are there, and you want to live it scene by scene and I think that the way that you write is very evocative of that and it it makes you want to stay with him the whole time yeah thank you yeah um <laughs> yes yeah, that's something so that I, I also strongly wanted, wanted to do in this novel because one Andy is 15 and, and I wanted to read that to just I don't know to do the very best to explore all the, the tools at my disposal the stylistics and all to ensure that I mean Peter can get to feel that sense of this boy's life as a 15 year old and like that whole experience I mean where he moves from scene to scene, what he sees and all that. So, and of course, and uh, so, so I said, I decided to write the book in this first person present tense uh, point of view. And I mean, it was it was very, it happened very organically and I didn't even think about it. It was so, so unconscious. Uh, but it really helped to, um, 
yeah, I, I mean the the idea, whatever, to I mean to build the story scene by scene because there's some I mean novels that tend to use like past person, I mean let's say past tense, whatever, or third person, let's say past tense or first person third, uh, past tense uh, narratives. I mean they could just switch from one scene to, to the other, and they are very very helpful. I mean to writers because you could just write, you could you could just develop things without doing very the hard work and all. But this was so difficult to do. And many readers might not understand, might not might not fully appreciate how difficult it was to do, like to ensure that. I was developing the story scene by scene so that anything that happens in the novel, I mean, something something actually does happen. I mean, and each scene is not just like a like a flash or something like it seems develops fully as though like you as though like it's like a kind of um, a TV drama, right? Like a TV drama where I mean you are in each scene and and I mean things happen, each scene has a, an arc, has a structure and all that. So all, all that's I mean I try to do that as seamlessly as I could and uh, yeah. Amazing. Now my last question for you, um I wanted to speak on the 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 characters connection to their dead. Obviously there are the the graveyards in their home Homes, Andy's sort of ongoing conversations with his his dead brother, the the putting the food out for the spirits, I guess. Um, but why did you choose mm-hmm. to to feature the dead and spirits as much as the living? Yeah, I, I think one of the lines I mean in this book, um, I think in the first chapter is where Andy says that uh, as if when you are younger, you are closer to the world of the unborn, to the w- world of the recently dead. I think if I if I could. I could that correctly. Yeah, and like I, I'm, I'm just like Andy. I'm also a sorcerer, right? And I, in my culture, like we and dead people are like buried. Dead family members are like buried in the house, like in the compound and all that. Like my father is dead, and and he's buried like in the living room of my house uh, in Ososo in Nigeria. Then, and I mean, I mean, the dead is part of us, and and it's just I think it's a way also of um, I mean, coming to terms with death, right? And and also keeping it there with us and and letting us letting them be part of our lives. And because like you. You, you hear of people who who I mean have lost family members who let's say for example in let's say in a plane crash that happens somewhere and and so they don't even have like the corpse to bury or, or they have no like no remains of the person and and there's always that huge sense of emptiness and yeah. and should I say uh, like unfulfilled not just unfulfilled but uh, like this huge emptiness anyway that and this liminal space where the person is seems I see the person isn't dead. I see the person is also still in existence. I see the person is dead and still not dead at the same time because there's no proof to show. You have no remains to show that this person has gone. You have nothing to keep it yourself. So I think it's a wonderful aspect of my culture anyway. And um, so I mean, dead is always playing with us. And um, I mean, yeah. And so I mean, that's a huge topic. A lot to go into like animistic interpretations of, yeah, of, of, of death and all that. But um, yeah, and spirits and all that are part of many, many like uh, African societies, uh, animistic like beliefs and all that. Yeah. We had uh, Chikadili Emelumadu on the podcast, um, who is also a Nigerian writer. And she was uh, very much telling us about, about how you must leave food for the spirits and you must share your food with yeah, uh, with those yeah. that have passed and the important <laughs> importance of that gave us a full-on lesson about this. Yeah. <laughs> um but i yeah. think it really showed it, it to me in your book it really showed how poor uh the western world's relationship to death and grief is because i feel like in in your culture certainly you know there's a much more openness to it and you know like uh, auntie lizzie in the book 
she her grief is she doesn't care who sees her grief she's totally open about it you know she's lying on the floor sobbing and I, I think that we could probably learn a thing or two from <laughs> from that openness to grief you know not kind of trying yeah, to shut down yeah. that emotion and not yeah, yeah. shutting down our relationship with the dead and not wanting to talk about it yeah. so yeah there's a lot to be learned that's a powerful way yeah actually that's that's a very powerful thing you just said about yeah uh, about grief how we need to grief yeah, and all that i mean i remember uh, when my father died and uh, i mean everyone was crying everyone was crying. i mean i mean everyone was yeah i just then i was young anyway but still like i just couldn't uh, i mean i just couldn't cry i just couldn't whatever i wouldn't i don't want to go into all that but um yeah, but grief and how we we we, we display grief and uh, and whatever. Let me not go too much. I'll, I'll keep thinking about this. this yeah, something for me to think about. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think that's to do. It's a major thing about men's mental health as well. Is is a yeah. whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think you yeah. definitely you definitely showed that and yeah. portrayed that well through Andy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he constantly saying that you know he he feels like he should cry and he does cry. But there are moments yeah. when he wants to cry, but holds it back. Yeah. yeah. And I just think there were so many yeah. things that were well portrayed with your book. So many things. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I think as well, what I wanted to touch on before we let you go was his fantastic kind of friendships with particularly, as you call them, the Drews, his his <laughs> two um, his two closest friends, Simon and Morocco. They're both kind of fascinating friends for him and they, they support him in ways is that I don't really feel like they understand how how intrinsic they are to each other how important they are to each other what was it like creating those characters to support Andy and did you have anyone in mind when you created them or was it was it more of like you needed these people to be around him yeah I mean I just I, I strongly needed of course them to be around him I mean and he's a very friendly I think charming person I think and so yeah I mean he has this wonderful group of friends and they I mean the dynamic I mean the relationship the dynamic and the relationship was actually that I think easiest to actually to do right I mean it was so unconscious and and uh, I mean I, I really love, love them I mean the banter they bring and all that um, I think in a way perhaps it was inspired by some of my closest friends growing up I mean I had these very artistic friends and uh, we would always laugh we'd, yeah we'd do things together and uh, of course but that's just so different I mean for my for my childhood friends and uh, I mean I don't know if this I've done in this book that I think somebody else might just think oh okay he just goes about his life he just he just wrote about about yeah about the people he knew, but uh, yeah, and so they may not give me enough credit, but, I, but there's so much, so much, many things here, I just, things I had to do from scratch, I just had to discover, I had to write and write and write, I threw many things away, started from scratch, I suffered and suffered and suffered, but I mean, to get here, and to make it as simple as, as I could, and uh, yeah, and but I think the friends are a good, a good example, and, and I wish I could just, I mean, write I mean, to explore them further in a subsequent work, you know. Is that the US cover that you just had in your hands? Yeah, yeah, that's <gasps> the US cover, yeah. Oh, so <laughs> nice. It's the UK cover, yeah. Do you have a favourite cover? Which is your favourite? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> don't back out, Stephen. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have a favourite. I mean, I mean, they're, they're both wonderful covers, honestly, and I mean, yes. if you look at them together, side by side, you see how they are like in conversation with each other. With both yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, here, I mean, you can you can say, okay, this is Andy and all, right? But and, and this is who he desires. This is who yes. he's been, this is who he's been made to be. And and you could even see a stereotype here. I mean, like very Monroe, like stereotyped to Africa, right? To narrative about <laughs> Africa. And uh, and yeah, and it's it's just wonderful. I love how 
the you pick up of course with the tone of the book and I mean just the colors and all like how vibrant it is. It's I mean they are both wonderful covers. I'm just hugely privileged to have such wonderful covers and they, yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. And listen, I know you've you're doing a PhD. I know this has yeah. only just come out. Uh, your novel, well, your novel comes out in three days in the UK. Is that right? The 13th yeah, of April. Right. Amazing. Yeah. Now, and yeah, I know it's only coming out in three days, your debut novel. I know you're still working on a PhD, but um, are we going to see uh, a second novel from you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> definitely. I mean, <laughs> some, something crazy happens. I mean, like, I mean, for example, Chad GPT comes up and, and writes way better than, than all writers and being a writer becomes, becomes pointless, right? Mm. So except, except for that, you know, but only if that happens, I mean, I, I will still be writing, right? Uh, so, I mean, I have been wonderful things to, to explore and to, I mean, to discover too. Um, like being Nigerian as a writer, it's a wonderful thing. You have like a billion things to write about. So that's I, I just think... Um, I'm sure that many perhaps Western writers might envy me or envy I mean, people like me, right? Uh, I mean, there's because Nigeria, there's, as I said, I mean, all you just need to do is just to walk along the Nigerian street or something, and you just see like 10 ideas, 10 novels to write about, and you just, oh, what is this person going through in life? You just think, and there's so many fascinating things to write about. I mean, even historically, write about historical events, so many historical events that have not been written about. Yeah, I'm hoping perhaps write about someday. And of course, like, I mean, looking looking into the future, like my countries, I don't. I mean, things are getting worse and worse. Everything is crumbling. Everything is crumbling, and I always wonder, oh, like, what would the country be like, like in the next twenty, thirty years, you know? Uh, yeah, and and that's something wonderful to write about. Just mm-hmm. just to think about that, and uh, so we'll see, we'll see. But definitely, I'm looking forward to writing my next novel, and I just can't wait to get into that huge feeling that feels as though we've taken LSD or something. Although, I mean, <laughs> I mean, to the police people, to the police people around, I've not taken it, so don't come for me. <laughs> I, don't know how, I, don't know how I don't know how it feels like, but I think that's that's what it should feel like. I mean, when, when you have a wonderful idea and, and everything is flowing perfectly, like, I don't think there's anything that comes close to that, honestly, to that feeling. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I cannot wait for your next novel mm-hmm. already. I'm already impatiently. Oh, like, thank wait you. To- <laughs> <laughs> now before we let you go we always like to finish on a good recommendation so do you have any uh recommendations for us whether it be books tv film anything yeah um i mean on my table here actually i have some books i don't know what i what i've read where you've read them i mean i've not read this but i think it's for what I've heard about it, I think it's uh, that's uh, Mr. Mr. by Guy Gunaratne. I'm not sure what I pronounced it so incorrectly, but he's also the author of you know, Mad and Furiosity. So I think it's a, I've not read it yet, but I think it's, it's a wonderful book and I, I just can't wait to start. But I've read this one, um, I don't know whether you've read this, Black Sunday by Tolaro Tibi Abraham, it's an Nigerian novel. It's, I mean, I love this book, I mean, for its sense of place. I, I mean, some books about Nigeria for me, I mean, are more about the characters, about the Nigerians themselves, and no more about the place. But this does the place so well, and I think, yeah, and I can't wait to visit it. It's just reanimated many of my memories about growing up in Nigeria. Yeah, I really, really loved it. And yeah, many books, of course. Um, yeah, but these ones are just on my table, so I'm going to recommend them. <laughs> <laughs> amazing no they are wonderful i'm obsessed with both of those covers as well they're gorgeous mm-hmm. yeah, love yeah. a cover now yeah. that is unfortunately all we've got time for today Stephen. it was so wonderful talking to you and thank you so much for joining us yeah thank you so much for having me i mean it's such a wonderful conversation we've had yeah thank you no thank you thank and you. thank you for your amazing book um <laughs> now 
listeners, you can buy The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. And I insist you buy it and read it immediately. I will pop a link in the show notes for you to buy it that way or head to your local bookshop. It is out on the 13th of April, so we'll be out by the time this episode is released, which is very exciting. And I think it's also going to be out in the, this is for our UK listeners, but it's also going to be out in the US this month as well. Is that right? Yes, on the 18th of April. On the 18th of April. Amazing. Um, So yes, UK and US listeners, you will both get, you both have to get run into your bookshops because you need to buy this book. And Stephen, is there anywhere our listeners can find you on social media or are you not on social media? (laughs) Yes, sadly, sadly, (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm I'm currently not on social media. I mean, I used to be years ago, but I mean, I had to run away to just get to finally write, right? Yes. So just, yeah. I mean, to take away, to, to get away from the world so I can I could see the world clearer, right? And uh, yeah, but hopefully in the future, let's see anyway, but... Well, yeah, currently I'm not supposed to be there. <laughs> but they're just gonna have to they're just gonna have to read your book to to hear from you. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. listeners, thank you so much for listening as always. And if you would like to follow us, you can do so at a pair of bookends pod on Instagram and at a pair of bookends on Twitter and TikTok. But thank you so yeah. much, Stephen, and thank you as well for joining us on a bank holiday. Uh, we yeah, really appreciate so. it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, really wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you.